Okay, now I'm going to ask you to picture this. Imagine with me that you've discovered God's undeniable and redemptive love, and you've converted to become a Christian. You've been baptized by the disciples in the Bible, and you're excited to be part of this new community. And then the lead pastor comes up to you, and her name is Kelly, and she comes up to you and greets you, and she's like, hello, welcome to this church. Um, My name is Kelly. I've been following God my whole life. I know the rules, and I know every single rule in the rule book, but you can't be a Christian unless you've follow the law of circumcision, and you follow the law of Moses. Whoa. I imagine, like, if that's what I said to you, you'd be like, I'm never coming back to this church again. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Evening, Praxis. Woo! How are we feeling tonight? Yeah, that was an amazing special music. Thank you so much for that. And Alexi, thank you so much for sharing. I feel like we could just go home now. Like, that was perfect. Um, But good evening. Happy Sabbath, everyone. And before I begin, happy Black History Month. I know we said this last week, but we'll say it again and again. Um, Did anyone buy any of the books I recommended last week? Yeah, maybe? We'll talk later. We'll talk later. Um, But uh, next week, we'll take a break from our series on community, and um, Dr. Andrea King will be speaking, so you definitely don't want to miss that for next week. Last week, uh, we went through Acts chapter 10 and 11. I don't know if you guys were here. And we talked about the first Gentile conversion through Cornelius, baptized by the apostle Peter, and the inclusivity of God's love, and how God has always intended in all the families of the earth to be inclusive. So his love has always been intended to be inclusive. And we redefined the term of community last week, not as a physical place, but as a network of safety, security, and belonging. And so this week, we're moving forward in the book of Acts. We've been slowly going through it. And this week, we're focusing on chapter 15, especially on the work that Paul does for the early church and growing community. Many biblical scholars would argue that this chapter is actually the watershed or the turning point of the, of, the, of the whole book of Acts, where we see and we justify all the things that have happened up to this point in the, in the Christian church and give hope and a vision to the future church. So before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful evening that we can gather here together. God, I just pray that in this moment that you quiet our minds, still the voices, maybe we've had a really rough and tough week. I pray that you calm our hearts, open our ears and our minds for what you have, um, and I pray that you use me as a vessel for your word. Thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. So for those who don't know me, my name is Kelly, and I'm in the intern pastor here at Praxis. And um, I grew up with uh, two siblings. Anyone else have siblings here? Anyone have th- like three siblings total? Like, yeah. Okay, anyone a middle child? 
Yes, I love, you're all quiet because you're like, we don't want attention because we're the middle children. Well, we had this unspoken rule in my house growing up, and I grew up with an older brother who's actually here tonight. Woo, Woo Kevin! Yeah, and uh, he like, relax, everyone. He's super introvert, so you guys should all say hi to him afterward. Um, he'll love that. <laughs> I also grew up with a younger sister named Kathy, who's also a very introvert. And we had this unspoken rule that the eldest kid in the car would ride shotgun. Anyone else? I mean, yeah, yeah, I see a few hands. Yes, I see a hand back there. Kevin also got car sick a lot, and so, you know, we always let him sit in the front, but that's besides the point. Now, as an adult, it's not really a rule anymore because I am now the household driver, designated driver because Kevin has been blessed with something called road rage. Um, so my parents like it if I drive. But anyways, there's this uh, sense of seniority, and Kevin's like, I didn't come to be attacked tonight. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there's a sense of seniority or superiority because you're older, you know? You're like the older sibling. You know more. You've lived more life. You know what right and wrong is. You know what your parents want and what they expect of you, and so you tell your younger siblings that. But when I was younger, I would always think, like, my little sister was never right. I was always right. And I guess this rule, again, doesn't hold true anymore because now she's a 24-year-old grad student. But when we were kids, it was very true. And I'm not sure if you guys had a similar experience where maybe you felt like you were always right or you had some sense of superiority or that you were, better, um, you were a better person because of something. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to picture this. Imagine with me that you've discovered God's undeniable and redemptive love, and you've converted to become a Christian. You've been baptized by the disciples in the Bible, and you're excited to be part of this new community. And then the lead pastor comes up to you, and her name is Kelly, and she comes up to you and greets you, and she's like, hello, welcome to this church. Um, my name is Kelly. I've been following God my whole life. I know the rules, and I know every single rule in the rule book, but you can't be a Christian unless you've follow the law of circumcision, and you follow the law of Moses. Whoa. I imagine, like, if that's what I said to you, you'd be like, I'm never coming back to this church again. But that's actually kind of what happens in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. So let's turn there. We're going to go to Acts chapter 15. And verse 1, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and we're teaching the believers there that unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem. They're going to have a little powwow session there to see the apostles and elders about this question. Whoa. This is directly against what the apostles had been teaching. In fact, it's against the whole entire truth of the gospel. We had just talked um, last week about how Peter liberated the gospel from its Jewish clothing and opened the kingdom of God to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 and 11. So what's happening here? I mean, we just talked about inclusivity of God's love. We even baptized the first Gentile, Cornelius. So what's happening? I imagine that some of the leaders of the church at the time, who believed they were the chosen people of Israel, had been instructed their whole lives to do a certain way. They'd been doing this for a really long time. They were seniors at this point. 
and they would abide to certain laws that set them apart, including circumcision and other laws, and they were a little alarmed that Gentile converts are now being welcomed into fellowship by baptism without circumcision. They're becoming Christians without becoming Jews and retaining their own identity and integrity as members of other nations. Now, this is really big. And just as a side note, you know, today's day we might under not understand why the, the purpose of circumcision was so important. But to give context, the reason for circumcision was because God gave the right of circumcision as a painful reminder that God's promises were not going to be fulfilled through our own human flesh. It was a reminder from God to Abraham as a covenant to say, you're trying to fulfill this promise through the male organ to get this promise that I made with you, but that's not going to happen. It's going to come about because I made this promise and this covenant with you, and if I said I will do it, I will do it. So after the cross of Christ, it's now known, though, that anyone could be adopted into God's family and be saved. You no longer need the knowledge of the law. You no longer need to be circumcised in flesh. Yet I imagine some of the Jewish Christians asking, what do you mean they get to be included too? I've been following the law my entire life. Have you ever heard of seniority? And this conflict, conflict was, in fact, so big that some commentators, biblical commentators, write that it's possible the very same conflict actually arose in Galatians. So we're going to turn to Galatians, which is also in the New Testament. We're going to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. And this is when Paul writes about what happens when he actually confronts Peter. Peter's a guy who baptized the first Gentile Cornelius. But here we see Paul confronting Peter about the same issue that we're reading about right now because Peter has now been convinced by leaders of the church to not associate or eat with Gentiles. So we're going to read Galatians chapter 2. It says, When Cephas, also known as Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to this face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Barnabas, good old Barnabas, faithful Barnabas was led astray. Now, this is huge. First of all, be careful who you associate yourselves with, right? Like, if you're with a group who's, like, pressuring you to do things that you don't believe in, like, probably should uh, think about your friend group. Um, but remember, a few chapters before this, Peter was the first Jew to baptize the first Gentile. And here we're reading Paul is saying, hey, Peter, you're, you're hanging out with a group of influential yet legalistic and powerful and opinionated Jews who are pressuring you to believe that Gentiles cannot be saved without circumcision, without the law of Moses. They were telling Gentile converts that, hey, yeah, we believe in the Gentile mission, but faith in Jesus is not enough. That's crazy. They wanted to let Moses complete what, what Jesus had begun and let the law supplement the gospel. This means the way of salvation was at stake and the gospel was in dispute and the very foundations of the Christian faith were being undermined. And what do we do when we see conflict arising in a community of believers? So let's see what Paul does here. 
Paul clearly sees this happening. He's outraged. His anger is obviously justified. And it was out of concern for, tr for the truth, and he calls Peter out. In Galatians 2, verse 14, we see Paul speaking to Peter, and it says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish, follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, but by the works, but because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul knows what he stands for, and this is countercultural to his time. He swears his allegiance to God, who is the king of all kings. He reminds Peter, or Cephas, of the one God who lived a perfect, perfect life, clothed himself in flesh, lived life here on earth, died for every single person's sins. God who is inclusive, God who loves abundantly, God who wants all of his children to be a part of his kingdom. Not a single child is to be left behind, no matter what your past your present or your future is, Paul is confronting and reminding Peter that the truth of God's inclusivity is important and it runs deep. And in fact, because of what Paul says and what he stands for, he actually, in fact, secures the gospel from corruption. And we go back into Acts 15 and we see that Paul has reminded Peter of this truth. Because by the time Peter reaches Jerusalem to go to this council that he's attending, Peter's actually the one who ends up standing up for the Gentile converts. He bears faithful witness to the whole assembly. In Acts 15, verse 8, Peter says, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Can we talk about like a 180 degree turn there? Earlier, we just read that Peter wasn't even sitting and eating with Gentiles. And now he's standing up and he is, and he's actually, he's actually the one who is standing up for them. And it's because of this one person, Paul, Paul, who reminded Peter of God's love for everyone, that one person who, who is convicted by faith and grace and who is unwilling to let go of the truth of the gospel. In fact, I would even say he was anxious for God's kingdom to be one body of Christ. Paul was that one person who united the church without compromising the gospel. He defended the integrity of the gospel without sacrificing unity of the gospel, and he continued to seek community first because he, his foundation was in Christ alone. I believe that by looking at Paul, we see that one person became the source of community. And we even see this in the Holy Trinity, that there's three and one, one person as a community, a perfect community represented by God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I think we are called to also become community. At the end of Acts chapter 15, we see a letter that's sent out to the Gentile believers. They're accepted into the Christian faith. 
There's four rules which were really given to ease the conscience of Jewish believers at the time, but in the end, we see two really important things that were saved. Salvation, because we see that we believe is through Paul saying this, or Peter said this, he said, we believe is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they were. And we also see that fellowship was saved. Notice that Paul didn't actually shut down or cancel any of the Pharisees or any of the people who were opposing the Gentile uh, movement. He actually allowed safe spaces for these difficult conversations in the midst of conflict. And he continued to practice the way of community. I love that Paul represents a dynamic follower of Christ. He showed us that in times of conflict, we are called to be bearers of truth. And in times of understanding people, different cultures and backgrounds, he's called to be accepting and loving of all because that is the least that Christ did for all of us. And that's how he built community in the early church. It wasn't because of Paul's seniority in his Jewish culture. It was through God's redemptive love for him. The gift that was given to Paul was received in abundance and which he used to gift to others. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, Paul was strong in faith and yet soft in love. And John Newton also once said that Paul was a reed in non-essentials, but an iron pillar in essentials. I think that the actions and character of one person brings community together, just as Paul represented his community Paul did that. He made it possible through Christ Jesus to extend the Christian gospel, the story of God's redemptive love, and he made it available to everyone. What does it look like to be a Paul today? I'm going to actually ask the band to come up at this time. But to be the pillar of a church sounds like a really big task. But let me share with you a personal story about one of our very own Praxis members. And she's here today, and her name is Kelsey Rochelle. When she first came to Praxis, she didn't know a single person, but she did join life groups. And eventually, she came to church for the first time. She said that she hadn't been to church in five years, and that she was even afraid to look at Pastor Phil because she was uncomfortable with looking at leadership and pastors. She said she was so nervous of church, and yet over time, she came back to Praxis, she came back to life groups, and the people here at Praxis got to know her and to join in community with her and made her feel at home. Today I asked her, what does Praxis mean to you? And this is what she says. Praxis has definitely changed my life for the better. I have felt closer to God more than ever through Praxis. Praxis has shown how God has worked in my life and other people's lives in such crazy ways. Praxis is a part of my schedule now. Then she shows a little conversation between a bird and her. The bird says, what are you doing Friday? She goes, praxis. The bird goes, what about next Friday? She's like, praxis. And they're like, what about Friday sometime in like 2043? And she's like, dot, 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 you just don't get it. And she's like, I always look forward to every Friday. It's a part of me, it's a part of my blood, it's in my veins, and it's in my heart. I love that. Now Kelsey's a driving force behind our community here. She's actually our Afterglow and Social Event Coordinator. And in fact, I would even dare to say that she is community. Every week she shows up, she's excited about church, she meets new faces, she's created new friendships, she's reached out to ones who don't even have families here over the holidays, and she'll say, hey, come to my house. If you don't have family here, I can be family for you. 
She's, she's always one to host. She's always one to generously donate everything that she has, she'll give. And she pours into this community. All it takes is one person. That's what Paul did. And that's what Kelsey does here at Praxis. My question for you is how can you continue the way of community in this season of life? I have a few ideas for you, three to be exact. The first one is to ask God to guide you in the season of humility and community. It's not easy for some of us. It's actually very unnatural. For Paul, he had a lot of humility to quiet his seniority. And in his culture, he could have been top tier, number one Jewish leader. But we see that he sees every person as equal. For him, kingdom work was more important than his own personal intentions or motivations. How can you create community is entirely different than how Kelsey might do it or how I might do it. But as you may have heard me quote this, you don't need to know everyone, but you do need to know someone. The second thing that you can do is to join a life group this season. We're opening up life groups at the end of this month. And really it's a way to get plugged into this community and grow together. Praxis is growing. You look around and you're like, I don't recognize a lot of new faces. But once you step into a small group of 10 to 15 people, you're able to be more intentional with each other, more vulnerable. You walk into Praxis Night Church and you realize, actually this place is a lot smaller than I realized because you have family here. The third thing is, go to tomorrow night's event. The Southeastern California Conference is putting this beautiful young adult night. And really it was an initiative to show young adults that, hey, our conference cares for you. We want you to come into this space and know that we see you. We want you to feel welcome. That community is hard to build, especially since the pandemic has happened. But we care and we want you to come here and get to know new faces and get plugged in. And lastly, I hope that tonight you can meet at least one new person. If this isn't your church and you're visiting, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And perhaps you can use these ideas to bring back to your own churches and grow them there. But if this is your church and this is your community, I should challenge you to meet two new people tonight. Because this is a way that we start practicing the way of community. The way that we can extend a welcome hand and, and a friendly face to pull a Kelsey, to pull a Paul, and to say, hey, welcome to Praxis. I'm so glad that you're here. As Praxis continues to grow, it is one of my biggest passions to grow in intentionality and vulnerability. And I'm going to ask you to partner with me and do this together. Because community is ultimately a group of believers, but community is also you. It starts with one person. And as one brilliant motion picture has said, we're all in this together. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, High School Musical. Always a good one. So tonight, I hope that you can look around, join us for Afterglow. We're gonna have snacks downstairs. But really, we just wanna get to know you. So with that being said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much that you created community. In fact, you created perfect community 
in the Holy Trinity. And I, and God, I just pray that we use this example tonight, seeing what Paul did for the early church, seeing how he stood up for those who were normally excluded and made them feel inclusive and know that they are included into your family and into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we can look at Acts chapter 15 as a way where we can grow in community with each other, extend a, a, a hand out to others. And Lord, I pray that we are able to humble our hearts and to serve in this, in this space. Thank you so much for your love, for your inclusivity. And I pray that through your love, that we're able to gift it to others. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.